Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. everybody welcome back to the short-term show today we have a very special guest y'all if you ever have had a doubt in your mind that you were able to do this this guest is here to tell you that you're wrong you absolutely can do it jabbar adesada closed his first deal at the age of 19 he is currently 20 and crushing it so jabbar welcome to the show really excited to interview you Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Awesome. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. Your uh, your energy is infectious. Like your big smile is making me smile. So uh, <laughs> I have fun cool. with this stuff. <laughs> it is fun. It's a lot of fun. It, it can be work, but it's definitely a lot of fun. So why don't you just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and what led you to real estate investing at such a young age? Yeah. Um, so my hi, everybody. My name is Jabbar Adesada. I'm a United States Marine and, um, as Avery mentioned, 20 year old real estate investor. Um, I would say that my journey to real estate investing kind of started um, almost recently. So I kind of got in. I was already into like the investing game and stuff like that, but more on like the stock side. And so I already knew like the power of investing, but then like stocks just wasn't cutting it for me. When I was like looking at like all these like compound interest calculators, cause I'm a nerd, right? And like running the numbers and trying to figure out like, when will I actually be financially free? I kind of figured it was like, man, it's gonna take me like years. I'm gonna be like 30 something years old. And you know, I was 18 at the time when I first started investing. And I was like, this is just gonna take um, longer than I'd like for me to get there. So, um, you know, all my search to figure out how can I get to like this FI goal a lot faster. Um, someone sent me bigger pockets. And I mean, I listened to every single episode. Like I started at episode one and I went all the way up, like, and they were at like 400 plus episodes at the time. And I've listened to all of them, listened to all the rookie bigger pockets podcast, uh, read all the books and things like that. And um, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. Cause this, I like, Cause like, I love podcasts cause you get to see what's kind of possible. Um, and you can kind of get inspired from other people who are crushing it. And I kind of was like, okay, well this person, they did it with these circumstances. So that means like, I'm, 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 I'm more blessed or I have this advantage over here. So that means I can possibly, um, you know, figure this stuff out. You know, it's not rocket science. Um, so I went through the very tough process of, you know, being 19 at the time um, and trying to buy my first property like five months after I kind of went through this education phase and um, I did it. So I bought my first deal when I was 19, like E3 single Marine in the military making like $18,000 a year. And I mean, I faced a tons of rejection and went through turns of adversity to get that thing where it is today. But um, it ended up being a pretty spectacular deal. Um, and I, I can share numbers real quick. Uh, it, it was basically a house hack. I used my VA loan on it, put 5% down um, on this $246,000 property. And I was all into it for $22,000 because it was a single family home. I'm renting out by the bedroom and I'm sleeping on the futon. 
Um, and so I rent out like each individual bedroom for like between $750 and $850 a month. And um, my mortgage is like $1,200. So if you do the math, I'm collecting $3,800 a month in gross rents. Um, on like it's it's a stupid great deal and i'm cash flowing i like to say between 1300 and 1500 a month year one um which is great um it's not that typical 100 a month in cash flow that you're typically getting from a single family go uh home since i'm kind of treating it like a small apartment building and that kind of gave me like an undesirable itch to like get more of this cash flow but uh that's a little bit about how I got into the space and things like that. So wait a minute, you have a three bedroom house that you're renting all the, oh, a four bedroom house that you're renting all. <laughs> oh, five, how did I get through? Okay, whatever, five bedrooms. <laughs> but you're renting all the rooms and you're sleeping on a futon? Yeah, uh, I don't know, uh, Craig Curlop, he wrote the uh, mm -hmm. house hacking strategy for Bigger Pockets. And yeah, I yeah, remember I listening to how, yeah, he's, he's an awesome guy. He slept on a futon, his like first house hack and like Airbnb'd out like the, the bedroom inside of like his side of the duplex. So I was like, man, I like in my circuit, my living circumstances at the time is I'm in, I was single Marine, like I'm 19 years old. And the way they have us sleep is like, we have these barracks rooms, which are like disgusting. There's no kitchen and I, I don't want to complain. But there's no kitchen. There's like, like I wake up and I literally take one step and I can smell my roommate. Like I'm looking at him in his eyes. Like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> so like, I was like, I'm not going to inflate my lifestyle by taking a bedroom that I can rent out for $750. I'm going to just rent that thing out too and uh, sleep in the middle of the house practically. And um, tenants don't have a problem with it and it's making me good money. So uh, <laughs> I'm committed, I guess, for lack of a better word. <laughs> Wow, what a mindset. So your living conditions are such that you can smell your roommate when you get out of bed and then you turn around and tell me, but I don't want to complain. <laughs> I mean, <that's> so, <laughs> so, okay, so here's the deal. Like, what I'm hearing from you, I hear a lot of people say, you know, I'm too young, I can't save the money, or, you know, like, maybe I'll do this when I'm older. But there are benefits, aside from the fact from just starting much earlier in life, that uh, the benefit of starting young is you have flexibilities that some of us old geezers in our 30s don't have. So, you know, if you're young and single, you can do stuff like sleep on the futon because you can to, in order to get that extra little bit of cash flow of not having your own room. So that's quite a mindset that that you've got there. And I'm very proud of you for... Uh, for, for <laughs> so let's zoom in a little bit on... You started looking around to invest and listening to podcasts and stuff when you were 18. If someone had tried to get me involved in real estate investing at 18, it just would not have flown. I mean, I had a little bit of interest in like personal finance. I did the envelope method with my bartending tips. You know, I've got my envelope over here for rent, my envelope for utilities that I put X amount of each, uh, of each night shifts uh, tips into. But that was about the extent of my interest in personal finance or investing. So was there a moment in that young age where something clicked with you? Because I just feel like a lot of people are in the same boat as I was that I was not, uh, you know, I'd rather go buy a nice meal or take a, a trip to the spa or something than, than really save at that age. 
Yeah. Um, so, ah, man, I really want to make sure I don't talk too much because I'm a talker. I'll, I'll just say He's that. talk a lot. <laughs> why we have you <laughs> so for me i guess this is the part i left out of my story is like so i started out like every other young person um just i was if i made money i was going to spend it um so i grew up in like i grew up with my mom and growing up with my mom um i was i was abused so i had like a a tougher life until i moved in with my father when I was 15, because my parents had divorced obviously before then. So when I moved with my father, he kind of like would plant these seeds here and there, like, hey, like he, he doesn't do any investing yet. I'm getting them there. But he he would say like things like, hey, like if you bought like a couple of these, I don't know, subways and you know, you own them and then you had like employees and make money. So I kind of had like that in me. And then so when I was um, also living with him, I was all into basketball, like super into basketball. That was my thing. And um, eventually I, I wasn't good. Uh, I'll, I'll just throw that out there. So one day, like my dad, he was mad at me because my pastor had given us an assignment to read a book. And so he brought me into his room. He got my two prized possessions and my basketballs and he popped them both with a knife. And so when he did that, though, uh, he handed me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, that was the assignment book that my pastor had me read. I read the book like cover to cover. Um, and I mean, it was a great book, but I did nothing with it because you know, I was 15 at the time. Um, so then flash forward again to when I'm in the military, you get out of boot camp. And the classic thing to do is like spend all of your money. And I mean, that's not the, it's not what you're supposed to do. But most I mean, I had twenty five hundred dollars. I was 18 is the most money I've ever had in my life. And I gave like a thousand dollars to my parents and I spent the rest on like iPhones, clothes. Uh, I took all my friends. I took like all my friends out to dinner, like to a steakhouse. I thought I was balling. And then all of a sudden that twenty five hundred dollars went to like three hundred dollars. Um, but then. After boot camp and spending all that money, I went to another training or combat training. And they, because I was there for the holidays, I wasn't able to go home um, to, you know, to spend time with my family for Thanksgiving. So I was actually hosted by this family. And I talk about these guys all the time. His name is Phil, and they host me for the holidays. And I mean, these people were super happy. Um, he was the type of person to come back home from work and like, go point at one of his kids and say, hey, like, you want to go to Paris? And they would go, like, legit. Or he would, like, go, like, you know, scuba diving in the morning and skydiving in the afternoon. So I'm sitting in these people's house, like, hearing about, like, all their cool stories and seeing how happy they are and how amazing their life seems. I'm like, wow, what what do these people do? Because I, I need to figure out how to do that. Um, and Phil ended up, he's multimillionaire. He invests in stocks primarily. But he gave me the books uh, Automatic Millionaire, uh, by David Bach, and then I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. And these aren't real estate books. They're more like personal finance books. But like what it did when I read that and then seeing it, like the results of the book, like in action, um, like in exonified and or personified in Phil's life, it made me like turn into like the cheapest person you've ever seen. So I was just like investing everything. Like 
I mean, young, I'm in the military, so our living conditions are different. But after that, I knew everything I had was going into like investments. I spent like $50 whenever the stock market crashed in 2020, because like, I was just so desperate to like get to that place in life. So um, it kind of came from like all these different seeds that were planted throughout my life. And I'm lucky that that happened. Um, but I'm definitely trying, I'm definitely the one kind of like steering it in terms of like making the decisions and how I'm aggressive and strategy and learning, you know, and committing to that type of stuff. But just all of that combined just led me to um, getting in early and trying to do it as often as possible. Awesome. Well, that is, that's, <laughs> yeah, a lot of different pieces there. So let's talk about this. The saving up for the first down payment is typically the hardest part in in real estate investing. Uh, aside from, it's the hardest part that is not solely mental. Like analysis paralysis is probably the hardest part, but that's you getting in your own way. But the physical act of being able to save up enough money for that first down payment is the hardest hoop to jump through, or it was for me anyway. So being the age that you are, how are you able to to save up? for that? Because you've got two properties right now. So we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But how did you save up for that first one? Um, yeah, I mean, I was I and there's just there's a little bit of like just getting lucky that my stocks went up. Right. But I literally I would just put every single dime I had. I mean, I was making fifteen hundred dollars a month. Um, so from I, I would say January to July of um, 2020, an 18 year old, like just throwing all for like $1,400 and living off of $100, I'd say on average, just putting it all into the stock market. And I just, I mean, it just went up. So I went from the military had paid me like throughout my entire time of just being employed and being a Marine, like $13,000. And luckily for me, my investments had grown to $30,000. So like now, like I was like, oh, wow, like this investing stuff works. Cause like literally in my like investment account, and it, it might've been between like 25 and 30, but like my investment account had grown way more beyond, you know, what I had ever even been paid in my life, you know, to work. So I'm like, okay, like this, there's like this, this, I mean, that that's how I did it, but it really showed me like this, this is powerful and it works and I can really use this to, you know, be wealthy and live the life that like I'm trying to design for myself, my family and the impact I plan on making. So what stocks were you investing in, if you don't mind sharing, that were able to get you to, so were you doing like individual stocks or index yeah. funds or what were you doing there? I did not. And I know the books preach like index funds. I was throwing my money in Tesla. Like I, <laughs> I was crazy. I was putting myself in Tesla. Um, all the airline stuff dropped, Apple, Microsoft, like individual stuff. I had no idea what I was doing. But at that point in time, like the market had just crashed so bad. It was like you could put like a blindfold on and then tie a monkey to your shoe and then like have the monkey stick its tongue out and pick your investments. And you would have been up like 100 percent. It was like literally that easy. I mean, I feel like everyone's been making money uh, or had been making money then just because it just dropped so drastically. So I was just picking stuff that I thought like, hey, this company is no different because there's a virus. Um, and it worked, you know, it could have gone the opposite way and I could have lost all my money. Um, and then not, and, but then I probably would have switched to index funds. So 
either way, uh, I think like just the power of investing there was super, super ridiculously powerful for me. Okay, so let's zoom in on this really quick. So you made all of that down payment money for your two properties in that 2020 crash period? No. Okay. So for the first property, <laughs> that's that's where I got the money the money from. Okay. For the second property, I actually like I spent. I mean, twenty two thousand dollars only had let's say thirty five. So I knew that um, I needed money, and I knew I needed to figure out a way to qualify for the loan. So I actually ended up partnering with somebody, and I can go into like that and how I kind of conjured that up, but. The first property was my money. The second property, I leveraged a partnership. Okay, great. And your first property is that really hardcore house hack where you're sleeping on the couch. And your second property is a short-term rental, right? Yep. $600,000 three-bedroom in, in severe... So, oh, man. I, would, I do not you did it right. pronounce it. Okay, really? You did it right. <laughs> severe yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what made you decide, all right, I have this house hack. I've got this going. Now I want to switch to a short-term rental. Oh, yeah. This is the, this is the favorite part, right? So I actually, so I'm in the field, right? I'm in the middle of the desert trying to get my house hack rented out from like halfway across the country because the military just sent me there last minute. And um, I'm just trying to, I'm asking for advice on bigger pockets, you know, doing the usual asking questions and things like that. And one guy, he reached out to me and I'm not going to share his name because uh, he, he probably wouldn't want me to, but okay. he was, so basically he reached out to me, we get to talking and you know, as real estate investors, we love talking about ourselves. We love talking about our portfolios. That's what I love about it. And so he kind of alluded to me, like he was crushing it. And so, you know, I, I'm digging deeper, asking him questions. And he had like three properties at the time. And oh, man, throwing out numbers. He's net, let's just say he's netting a lot. He had a bunch of four bedroom uh, properties that he paid 2020 um, Smoky Mountain numbers for. And he was in the top 10 percentile on his gross revenues for each of them. <laughs> and so I was like, well, and you know, I'm making $1,500 a month on this house hack. I'm like, I don't really um, want to do like the, you know, $100, $200, $300 a month in cash flow. So I'm like, I think I'm going to do what you're doing. I think that's genius. I think that'll get me to my goals faster. And like you always say, Avery, you're always like um, short-term rentals are like a way to like turbocharge your investing. And like seeing that from him, um, this guy, I was like, oh crap, like I, I got to figure this out. Um, so I just was like asking myself, so, and, and then obviously, right. You look at the price tag in like the Smoky Mountains and it's like instant sticker shock. You're like, Oh shoot, like $600,000, $500,000, a million thousand dollars, a million dollars for one like property. Like you gotta be kidding me. There's no way. Like I, I just spent all my money on this house hack. It was 200 something thousand dollars. And now I have to figure out how to buy this $600,000 property. So I kind of just was like, all right. Instead of like me, because I didn't have money, couldn't qualify for the loan. I was like, well, what do I have? I have time and, you know, I have kind of resources. I can kind of pull together the experience needed to figure this thing out and make it work. And so I was like, well, how can I like in my current position, how can I, you know, buy a $500,000 plus property um, and put on Airbnb? Because I know the money up the the opportunities for a great cash on cash return and just a, a phenomenal deal is there, but how can I do it in my current state? So I was like, huh, 
I need the money and I need the ability to qualify for the loan. So let me kind of see if I can make those two the same person. So I like bigger pockets says, throw it out there, do whatever you can to tell everyone you're a real estate investor. And if you find a good deal or have a good opportunity, the money will find you. And I grinded. I mean, you know, you start with friends and family. I started calling up friends and family. And of course, like, um, I want to take a step back real quick. I was learning. Like I was, I listened to your podcast like five times. Um, the one on, I've listened to several of your podcasts. Actually, I listened to, um, a bunch of YouTube videos. I've listened. I mean, I was doing hours of research. I probably analyzed, I probably analyzed like over a thousand different deals and all the different markets, um, that I was looking at at the time. So I was like preparing myself, like, okay, like, this is how you operate short-term rental. This is like the, the the technology that you need to utilize. These are the agents you need. These are the different contractors. I was already I was networking with other investors. Like I was like literally on bigger pockets, like searching up, let's say, um, Gatlinburg. And anytime someone mentioned they invest in Gatlinburg, I was DMing them, <laughs> trying to learn from them. Or same thing with Gulf Shores, Alabama, right? Just DMing them, trying to learn uh, more, trying to get into the market. And so I, I was doing a lot of research. Like I don't want people to think like I was just like trying to bring people on this opportunity with like no like self education or like no idea what I was doing. Like I probably could have taught like a master class or something at that point before I started like pitching this idea to somebody else. So once I kind of felt confident after all the different research data and things I pulled together, that's when I started asking everyone. So I started asking all my friends and family, um, every single one of them told me no. It was like such an emphatic no too, because it's like this crazy 19 year old kid asking me to buy this $500,000 property together and get myself into debt. Like no way in heck was that happening. So I didn't get discouraged. I just started like saying, okay, I haven't talked to enough, enough people then, I, or I'm not talking to the right people. So I started um, just, telling everybody like I was shoving real estate down every single person's like down every single conversation, every single person I talked to just putting it, putting it out there. Like, Hey, I do real estate. Hey, this is what I'm looking to do. I'm trying to buy a X amount, you know, a, a property here and it's going to make this amount of money. And then we can both like ride off into the sunset and be financially free. Um, <laughs> obviously the pitch was more uh, professional than that, but then eventually I get to a point where, um, you know, I start telling friends and then friend, getting friends to tell their fa their family and their friends. And so I got on phone calls with people and my pitch was this. I'm like, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy this property. And it, it was more professional than that. But um, we're going to buy this property. We're going to, you know, put the money. You're going to put the money down. I'll manage it. We're going to split it 50-50. And my first time asking someone that, Avery, I was literally so nervous. I'm on the phone with this lady. And like my hands are shaking and like you could hear like the nervousness in my voice. And <laughs> so I hung up the phone, like pretending like the call had dropped just to like catch myself. Cause like my chest was beating from my, or my heart was beating from my chest. And uh, I called her back and, you know, um, didn't sound confident at all. And, you know, Frank, I just putting it out there. She did not give me any money. She was, she never reached back out to me ever again. And I don't think she ever will, but just like going through that multiple times kind of helped me refine it. Um, and so one day, right, I'm just like still doing the same thing. But then my friend tells my master sergeant actually um, like, hey, like 
Jabbar, or sorry, Adesada, right? Because we go by last names in the military, is looking to uh, do this in real estate. And he needs money. And so he goes, oh, well, I have tons of money, you know, because he had some assets himself. Like, um, and then he comes up to me, he's like, hey, like, I heard like this is what you're looking to do. Um, I have money, like, I'm interested. And my mind was blown because, like, I don't want people to think this is not like a person. My master, I'm a, I was an E3. Like, we don't talk. I have to ask permission to talk to this guy. So it's not like he had any clue who, like, we didn't have, like, a close relationship. I'm not going to his house or anything like that. Um, this is basically just like a, it's like talking, I don't know, in the civilian world, your HR head or something like that. Or at least that's how it felt to me. Um, so then, you know, I'm like blown away, um, but I sit on it and I'm like, okay, I'm going to work on my thing. And I probably would have sat on it for a week. And then the very next day he calls me to his office and he goes like, Hey, so, um, like, tell me, like, what are you looking to do? So I kind of, I start trying to pitch him. Right. And he's like, Hey, Hey, I don't want to hear any of that. Um, I, he saw kind of like the work and commitment I used like to get my first property up and running and kind of like that never fail attitude. And he was like, I just want to invest in you. Um, so I told him like kind of what I was looking for in terms of capital commitment. And um, he was, and he was like, yeah, I, I don't care about the deal or anything. I, I believe that you'll figure this out. Um, he's like, what are your terms? Shot him at him, at a, out at him. And he was like, sweet, let's, let's do it. Let me know when you need the money. <laughs> And, I, and, you know, this is the craziest thing that ever happened to me. I'm like, wow. So um, I'm a little at this point, I'm like, OK, well, that's great. Um, shocking, but that's amazing, I guess. I guess that's how life works. And so now I have the money, right? Because he, he didn't want to sign on the debt. Like I need someone to qualify for the loan at this point. He didn't want to do it. So um I kind of I had the money, right? He was gonna give he was gonna give me the money for it, but I didn't have the person to qualify for the loan. So now remember how I was going through this whole ambitious process of telling everybody what I'm looking for? I had to do it again to get someone to to sign off on the debt. Um, and that was a whole nother process in itself and a lot of failing, a lot of rejection. Um, so randomly this guy comes into our mastermind, um, and I've done this pitch a lot. Um, and I'm not even trying to pitch this dude at the moment. He comes into our mastermind. Um, I'm a part of a mastermind called Cheeks Freaks. It's like young people who are investing. And he's like, yeah, I'm into Airbnbs and stuff like that. So I'm just trying to connect with the guy. Um, like, hey, like I see you're doing Airbnbs. I'm actually looking to do Airbnbs too. So we get on the phone call and not trying to pitch him. I'm just venting to him. I'm like, I have this amazing opportunity and I cannot believe that nobody will take it. Like, it's just blowing my mind. And we're talking. And at the end of my vent, not trying to pitch him at all, he's like, you know what? That does sound like a good opportunity. Like, I, I, I'm in. Like, I'm, I'm actually interested. I just need to talk to my wife. I was like, wow, really? Like, that's okay. That's great. Um, <laughs> it, it just shocked me. That's how it kind of worked out. So Obviously, we uh, we talked about it. We I kind of had like the structure that I was going to use, you know, talk to the lawyers and things like that, to how to like make this work and talk to the lender and everything. Um, but event, I had the money. I had the um, person to guarantee the debt. And we went out there, made a bunch of offers, lost some and won something good and got something under contract. But that is basically the long story of <laughs> How I how I got this six hundred thousand dollar property when I was like twenties. I was just ambitiously looking for how I could do it instead of 
you know, stopping at like all the no's and things like that. It's just going for it. So you went from hanging up on a potential <laughs> partner to actually getting a partnership with somebody who's X amount of ranks above you in the military. Did that make you nervous at all? Like, okay, well, I better not screw this up because he's way up there. Yeah. Um, you know, I was probably nervous the entire time. I can't say there's a moment where I wasn't. I, I would say that was probably, I would never have even guessed, like to even ask him, like that's probably not even allowed. Right. And somebody who's military is going to listen to this. He ended, he's out the military now. He was getting out. Um, so he told me, like, I'm getting down like a month when I um, when I leave, then we'll be able to go forward with this. Um, but, yeah, it was shocking, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so I'm sure I don't know if you want to share or not, but I'm sure a lot of people's next question would be how did you structure these two partnerships? How did you structure it with that guy? How did you structure it with the person who's signing off on the debt? Yeah, and I'm sorry I'm laughing so much. It's because I get this question like all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I was and, saying, and I'm so, laughing because I know if I don't ask it, everybody's going to message me and say, why didn't you ask that? So. <laughs> yep, yep. So basically the way that I structured the debt, right, is, um, and these are crazy terms, right? And this is what he was okay with. This is what he actually wanted is he just basically said, hey, um, he'd give me the capital for like the down payment and whatnot. And basically for that, he just wanted 10% interest. Uh, but it was interest only with a balloon in five years. So if you kind of like backtrack that from like just a capital stack perspective, that means you only need to get a 15% return on your money to pay that money back through cash flow, like strictly through cash flow. You just need a 15% return just to pay back that whatever the capital commitment commitment is. So that's how I kind of structured that. And at the time I've underwritten so many deals I mean, my buy box was a 30% return on top of paying that guy his interest payment. So it's like, or on top of paying 10% interest for the money. So I was like, okay, that that's perfect because I mean, all these deals are cash or, or their cash on cash return is 30. So even if I'm wrong by half, I'm still gonna have the money to pay him back just from cash flow, not including if we, you know, it eventually appreciates not banking on it and we can refinance and pay him back out. Um, and then with the and he and he's not getting any equity. He's just getting interest on his money. And then with the second guy, all he did basically, I'm pretty much quarterbacking everything. He just got the loan, right? Um, brought the he just basically was got the loan, and uh, we basically split ownership of the property 50-50. So I own 50% of the asset. He owns 50% of the asset. The plan or the exit strategy on the debt from the down payment is basically to say, we're not taking any profits currently. We're just kind of saving it up until it amasses to more than the, um, the what the down payment was. But, um, or the other exit is like, obviously a cash out refinance would do the trick. And I don't know, I'm looking at the market right now and I have not seen a three bedroom cabin in a while for 600,000. So it might, it's looking like that might be a possibility to just cash out refinance. And then now we are cash flowing greatly on the cabin that, I mean, I'm in for no money down, um, the partner's in for no money down, it's kind of happy. And also when doing this, right, 
obviously me and my partner, we have like a clear dissolution because we don't, it's not like an ambiguous partnership where we're like, we're going to conquer the world and buy a bunch of properties. It's like, hey, these are the agreements. These are the terms. Um, these are things that have to meant. Risk is also split 50-50, which is great because I don't make a lot of income. Um, he makes a lot more income than me. And obviously we both have reserves for the property. We both have reserves for ourselves. Um, but uh, we kind of did it as best as we could in terms of like forming a partnership to buy a property together. So um, that's, does that structure make sense? I explained that well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you bought in the Smokies like mid 2021. Is that right? Or kind yeah, of third quarter? Well, third quarter is October third quarter. Is that fourth? We, I think that's fourth think quarter. That's when we closed. Yeah, we closed in October. We went under contract in like August. <laughs> <laughs> Appraisals, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Don't don't say that word around here. Oh, sorry, um, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's definitely a pain point amongst all my team members at the moment. Uh, so I've heard a lot of people over the past year, really over the past two years, say the numbers don't make sense in the Smokies anymore. The, the Smokies are over. And that I don't think is true. So uh, another uh, agent on my team who's now manage, management on my team, Julie, she bought something in 2019 in the Smokies that, or 2018, 2018 maybe. And the first year she made a hundred percent cash on cash return. Now those deals are not out there anymore, but it's still doable to get 20, 30, 40, depending on what your financing is and the property itself. So what were you looking for? I know you haven't owned for a full year to be able to say what it's been yet, but what was it you were looking for when you were shopping basically? Yeah. Um, and that's a really great question. And I don't know how people are saying that. Um, obviously people wouldn't be buying if, if returns were terrible, but we were looking for a 33% uh, cash on cash return on top of like paying 10% interest for our capital commitment or the down payment, sorry. So um, that was that was the buy box we were looking for. And I saw several deals because you have like these um, two bedrooms with like a loft that you can list at like a, as a three bedroom. Um, and you can kind of get those like three bedroom gross numbers, but really you just bought a two bedroom at a lower price point. Um, and I was seeing a lot of those, I mean, on the market when I was, when I was looking in between May of 2021 and then when we closed in October, um, I mean, 650 for a four bedroom, I saw twice. I saw uh, multiple, it, th this is not the case anymore. I just want to throw that out there. But, um, you know, these $600,000 or, or four, five, 550 to like $600,000 uh, three bedrooms at the time. So when you're looking at, okay, well, what will this gross possibly, you know, um, and you guys provide, obviously we used you guys, you guys provide the, um, the data for what those gross numbers will be. And then you kind of enemy method it out to see what, like what's achievable. There's still tons of, op there, at least, I mean, there's opportunity now everywhere, but there was still at the time, a lot of opportunity to get those 30%, 40%, uh, cash on cash returns, which um, I mean, I'm we I'm I'm constantly like evaluating our numbers, and um, I don't know yet because I haven't owned it for a long time. But I'm very happy um, with how the property's performing currently, and I think will probably be greater than that 33% cash on cash return for our for that first one. So 
um, that, that's, that's basically it. Amazing. Amazing. And I think that like, yeah, the deals were a lot better five years ago, but so was everywhere. Like my cash on cash return <laughs> at yesterday's prices is always going to be higher than at today's prices, no matter what market you're in. So it's not that the deals are gone. Yes, there were more of them for a higher cash on cash return four or five years ago when you could get a hundred. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. That sounds like a joke. It sounds like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. Like it does not exist. Um, but now you can still get really, really healthy returns well above 20%, but it's just, you have to watch and be persistent. There's not just 20 of them laying around on, on the MLS. So that's, that's really good. So now, (laughs) Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I I just wanted to say like, and I was doing the whole, like I was analyzing deals for four hours every single day. Like I was looking at the market, like a hawk. I was making, we were making offers. We had a certain amount of offers that we wanted to make every week. Right. Um, so we were doing like doing like the process that it takes. So I see a lot of people. They're like, oh, well, um, like I've made I got I made the offer 100 grand over asking and I got beat by all cash offer. And like, you know, I'm not, I feel your pain person. I'm not hating on you. But it's like, all right, make more offers like on to the next one. You kind of have to be like not as emotional when you're looking at it. And then another thing is like, I think a big flaw Um, that a lot of investors make is like they're only evaluating like the numbers for year one and like that's it and so like if you only look at the year one numbers buying like a pre-owned home um i mean maybe year one you might not be at let's say a 40 percent cash on cash return but maybe who's to say like rates won't grow i mean we're seeing a lot of inflation um the smoky mountains got like two million more visitors this year as opposed to like the last two years right so there's a lot of things that might say it might go and maybe it might decrease, maybe it might get lower. So you kind of have to make those different types of evaluations or maybe like year one, you spend a lot of money on like furniture and things like that or, or CapEx items or taking care of the building. And then year two, three, four, five, you don't obviously have those different issues coming up every time. So your net's going to be a little bit more. So there's, I think that you kind of have to evaluate for like today, you know, have your buy box for today, but also like have that like look forward into the future like the potential of it because maybe you're looking at a deal that could be great um next year but maybe right now it needs i don't know twenty thousand dollars more than you think you should put into it i don't know (laughs) yeah no that makes a lot of sense and just sometimes just a few little upgrades can make all the difference like i recently did a kitchen all i did was paint the cabinets and add a new countertop because the countertop was blue for mica so it's like really bad like super dated and you know that was like maybe four thousand dollars not even for the amount of granite that i needed and the paint and now the pictures look so much brighter and so much better and you can get a higher price per night for something like that and you know i'm making that back the first month not even very quickly yeah Yeah, there are lots of things that little updates that aren't as expensive that can, as you probably would assume they are, that can really make an impact on your bottom line. So that's really good advice. Yeah. So we are to the last three questions of the show, which the first one is not going to apply to you because I normally ask, (laughs) what advice would you have for your 20 year old self? But since you are 20, uh, what are your plans going forward? What are your goals? Um, so 
it's I, I don't think this sounds crazy to people who know what like a short term rental can do. But honestly, this year, I'm trying to be financially free before I can drink at a bar. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, right now um, with this property, obviously, once like we're taking profits from it, I am pretty much getting a decent amount of cash flow from that one. So like one or two more kind of puts me there. So I'm trying to actually get some stuff right now. I'm actively looking at stuff and have like an off market potential. You know how those go um, that I'm working on. So just buying as many uh, short term rentals as I can and just achieving financial freedom for myself, um, because then I want to focus on getting like that financial independence for like my family and then like the future goals of just giving back to people. But I'm just right now, like the main priority I just say is being financially free um, this year. That's a great goal. That's a really great goal. <laughs> All right. And what advice would you have for a new investor who is looking to buy their first property today? Um, I would just say you kind of just have to just, I want to say go for it. Cause that's not tactical enough, but kind of look at what you need to get a deal done and then take action towards that thing as like soon as possible. So like, I mean, for some people that might be capital, right? So if you know that you need to, you know, cut down on like whatever you're saving or you need to get savings really heavy and kind of work from that aspect, or so for some people it might be being bankable. So see what you have to do to become bankable. But I'd say just take action um, tremendously on the things that you're missing right now so you can get into your next property. Because I'm finding that real estate is very much of an addiction. Like it's been, I don't know, three months since I've bought in the property and I'm like, like twitching and stuff. I'm like, gotta, gotta get another one, you know? Gotta, <laughs> um, so once you kind of get that first one, it just kind of goes crazy from there. Cause you start realizing like, okay, um, now like I can use this to buy two, three, four, five properties. And I guess like when you have no deals, you kind of don't see that. But once you start getting some traction, it kind of just starts opening up from you with like different opportunities and things like that. So, yeah. Awesome. And last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Ooh, I love this one. I got to say, though, The One Thing by uh, Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. Hopefully I said his last name right. I've probably read, I'm, I'm reading that book actually right now for like the third time. And I just love it because it kind of breaks down. It's like, what's that one thing you can do today, right? That would make everything else easier or necessary and once you kind of like get to that actual one thing, not like, you know, the cop out easy answer, like just an actual tactical one thing that you can do right now um, that would make everything else easier and unnecessary. And you work towards that. It kind of gets you past like this barrier of what you thought would even be possible to obtain. Um, and I read that book um, when I was going after like my first deal. Right. That's kind of what sparked the the like, how can I do this mindset is because like. I set a goal, it's like, okay, well, what is the one thing I can do now to make everything else easier and necessary? And it was like making phone calls, right? I got the call, I need to talk to people because I needed someone for the money, I need someone for the qualification of the loan. So um, that is a super powerful book. And I mean, I've read it three times, so I love it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, great answer. I don't think anyone said that one yet. So good Woo! answer. First one. <laughs> 
All right, Javar. Well, thank you so much for coming. I have to tell you, your energy makes me comparatively feel like a slug. So I feel like I need to go run a couple miles. Like it's time to go like drag my ass out of this office and do something. So I'm going to go do that. But uh, thank you so, so much for coming on and uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a great honor uh, being here today.